Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is the Court Today replay on C103. On Wednesday, the 10th of April, 2019. And thank you to some very kind listeners who have remembered it's my birthday today. And I really do appreciate people have taken time out to send in uh, texts and calls uh, to wish me a happy birthday. So thank you. In particular, Mike and Bantry was one of the first in and Maura and uh, Anthony on WhatsApp. And there was a couple of other WhatsApps as well. So thank you very much. And actually, while I'm celebrating today, I saw a lovely request in earlier. It was on The Breakfast Show with Simon for James Allen from Drimmer League who is legal today because he's 18. Happy birthday to you, James. Ma'am, Dad and your brother, Peter, were on to wish you all the best and only good people were born on the 10th of April. So happy birthday to you, 18 today, James Allen in Dreamer League. Now, John Paul's taking your calls. It's his birthday tomorrow, actually. 1850 so you can hang on and wish him a happy birthday uh, tomorrow. He's taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 And before we get to what's coming up on the programme, I want to give a quick mention to the and wish the very best of luck to the pupils and staff at Bohabui Secondary School because they are putting on a musical that is entitled The King of Pride Rock and it's described as inviting the audience to embark in an extraordinary coming of age as Simba a lion cub who cannot wait to be king searches for his destiny in the circle of life <laughs> you can already imagine the songs that are going to be included in this musical tonight and it opens tonight in the Pierce Memorial Hall and it runs tonight the 10th, the 11th and the 12th of April, 8 o'clock each night. Tickets are €10 and can be purchased from the school office and we wish everyone the best of luck. That's at Bohabwee Secondary School and I advise people purchase your tickets early please because what always happens for school productions everybody wants to go along to a school production you know the parents obviously and the siblings and the aunts and the uncles and the grannies and the granddads and they can really book out very very quickly so get your tickets because you'd hate anyone to be disappointed but it's the Pierce Memorial uh, Hall in Bohabwee for the next three nights opening tonight. Now coming up on the programme this morning we're going to be um, finding out why residents in Lep Village are looking for traffic calming measures. We've been hearing about speeding that has been going on through the village and from what I can gather it has a lot to do with the resurfacing. There was resurfacing and roadworks conducted in Lep Village. Now most villages and towns once they get resurfacing they're delighted, they're thrilled and they're fulsome in their praise of the council. Thank God, look what they've done. This is great and we're not doing any damage to our cars. Uh, and I actually saw one councillor at one local meeting saying, you know, rip it up and bring back the potholes because at least there was potholes there. It was slowing the cars down and it seems they've got this wonderful surface and it's leading to what one 
person described as Mondello Racecourse in uh, Lep. Now there's school, there's a creche, you know, there's children need to cross the road. It's a busy little village and you cannot have cars whizzing up and down through the village. It's, it's one of those things, it's almost like an accident waiting to happen. And I certainly don't want to be on this programme reporting about an accident with people saying, weren't we only talking about it a number of weeks ago, how people just speed through that village. So if something needs to be done, then let's get on to it, get it done and get it sorted. So we'll look at that this morning on the programme. But I would welcome thoughts and comments from people living in the area if you want to describe to us how bad does it actually uh, get will the council take over the running of the community CCTVs whenever we are talking about antisocial behaviour if anything happens in any area we will inevitably get somebody say was it caught on camera is there CCTV in that area did the Gardaí were they monitoring it did they see it and we know that people have been prosecuted because things have been seen on CCTV and if you get good monitoring of community-based CCTV you can actually stop crimes in progress or you can stop antisocial behaviour stop people being attacked if the Gardaí have access to the cameras and can actually see what's going on I mean late at night we would love the idea of having a Garda on every single street corner in reality that's not going to happen but if the next best thing is somebody monitoring CCTV who can see what's going on and then can dispatch you know a police car or dispatch um, on duty guardy to the area to stop whatever is going on but there's a problem with the CCTV this all goes back to data protection I thought it had been sorted out I thought the council had taken over the running of it it seems it hasn't and it came up this week at a council meeting so we're, we're, we're endeavouring to try to find out a little bit more about that on the programme today. Haemochromatosis. Some people will know all about this. Others will go, what? What are you talking about? Can't even spell it, let alone pronounce it. It is an iron overload. It is a condition that is very common in this country, but it certainly is a condition that we need to talk about more because a lot of people are unaware that they have haemochromatosis and sometimes people can find out too late. So it's one of these conditions that you need to be getting tested for because there are more cases of haemochromatosis in Ireland than in any other country in the world and we'll be finding out more about it on the programme today in advance of an information meeting that's going ahead in Cork City next week and we'll give you details of that information meeting as well. So if you've got a question with regard to haemochromatosis, uh, feel free to to get it in to us. It is 107 years ago today that Titanic set sail. It set sail from Southampton and then it called to Cherbourg in France and then it headed to what was then Queenstown, what is now Cove. It picked up the last of the passengers in Cove and then it set sail westwards across the Atlantic and of course as we know four days later on April the 14th it hit an iceberg and over 15,000 over 1,500 lives were lost on that uh, night. And because its last port of call was Cove, people, people in Cove have been great, I think, over the years to remember those lives that were lost and to remember their connection uh, to the Titanic. And it's, it's, it's good for tourism as well. I think it's, it's only right and proper that we remember the lives that were lost. But it's also great from a tourism point of view, the number of tourists that come to Cove and they deliberately come to Cove because of its connection with uh, Titanic. So this commemorations are going to be held on next uh, Sunday, which will actually be the 14th. They'll be doing it on the actual uh, date this year that 
event at the, the Titanic uh, sank. So a number of events that are going to take place. So we're going to be looking ahead to those and, and uh, sharing uh, the memories of Titanic with a Cove on the programme today. And it is Wednesday. So that means Peter Dowdell will join us answering all of your gardening questions. Yesterday on the programme, I mentioned that we were getting calls in from people in the Bandon area who were asking us to look into the water quality and could we find out what has gone on with the water quality in Bandon and also asking us if we could find out was it just isolated, was it just you know somebody, in other words sometimes you can get a particular neighbourhood where there might be something wrong with the water but the rest of the town could be okay so they were asking us if we could discuss it on air just to find out and see is it an overall town problem people were talking about, they'd noticed the deterioration in the water quality since the works were carried out on the Bandon River. People spoke about residue being found in their kettles and saucepans that was never there before the works were car- was carried out on the river. And then many others were complaining about a very strong smell of chlorine from the water. And we know chlorine is, is added to the water, but people were saying this is, was a particularly strong smell of chlorine. So we put it up on our Facebook page last night. And just to give you some of the comments that came in overnight, Laura said the water is absolutely way worse than it was before the works was conducted. It was bad to begin with, but it's certainly worse now. It smells like a swimming pool at times. And since the water works were conducted, it smells like that more frequently than it did before. It simply can't be good for us. We actually don't drink the water or cook with it. We do use it for showering. We do use it for the washing of clothes, etc. But we certainly don't use it for human consumption. That's from Laura. And that's costly if you're, I don't know if Laura's going out and buying bottled water if she is. That's quite costly if it, for an entire family. You're buying bottled water to drink and to cook in. Uh, Naomi says, um, I couldn't agree more. There is something wrong with the water. We had to get a water filter system fitted in the kitchen because we simply couldn't consume the water, especially as I've had health issues and I felt they were being impacted by the amount of chemicals being pumped into the water. Having a bath smells like you're sitting in a swimming pool. It's shocking. Something really has to be looked at. And just a final one from Priscilla to say it stinks of chlorine. It is not, so it can't be suitable, according to Priscilla, for human consu- consumption. It is a disgrace in this day and age. I use the filter jugs. I don't know if it's any good or not, but it does seem to make a slightly different taste. It doesn't seem to make it taste slightly different, uh, but something needs to be done about it. Now, I'm assuming that we've sent off, the John Paul has sent off an email to Irish Water to find out if they can explain what is going on, particularly the high chlorine, because that gets tested and there's only so much chlorine that they can add and then they've got to make sure and test you know, that it is within the safe legal limits, especially for human consumption. So if we get anything back, hopefully we'll have something back from Cork County Council of Irish Water before the close of the programme, we will bring it uh, to you. And just to tell you on hospitals and hospital waiting lists and all of that, because uh, yesterday we were talking about com- care in the community and the healthcare centres and primary healthcare centres. And why can't we have more primary healthcare centres who can do procedures that 
you don't would, at the moment people are going to the hospital for you know people are talking about dressings on bandages etc but there's a lot of kind of outpatient stuff that could be done locally in a primary health care uh, centre if we had enough of them and had them properly staffed and adequately staffed and why can't we move some of the services out of the big centres of excellence and bring them back and bring them out into the county and people saw that as a way of freeing up then your centres of excellence, freeing up your Cork University Hospital, freeing up the A&E department at Cork University Hospital and the other hospital close to us would be the University Hospital in Limerick which seems to be constantly breaking all records when it comes to the number of people that are waiting on trolleys. Well the latest INMO trolley watch is uh, out and 528 admitted patients are waiting for beds this morning. So that's 528 people who have been told you have a condition, you need to be admitted to hospital and then they are on trolleys waiting to get up onto a ward. 370 of them are in the emergency department and another 158 are in wards elsewhere in the hospital. And that's what we were hearing last week when we were hearing about the status black we heard from somebody who was actually in hospital saying that when we were talking about the trolley watch, they were saying, what about the people that are on trolleys in wards? Are they not being counted? Well, they are actually being counted, but they're put inside in wards, which is then adding to the pressure and the strain of the nurses who are looking after their cohort of patients, you know, maybe 20, 30 patients. And then if they've got four or five on trolleys out in the wards, you know, out in the corridors or maybe pushed in somewhere into the ward they're trying to look after them as well which must make it very very difficult indeed so there's 370 in emergency departments 158 are in the wards and then let's break it down to locally the worst hit hospitals are the ones we've mentioned funnily enough Cork University Hospital oh, sorry the University Hospital in Limerick 59 patients they seem to struggle Every day. It's not even, you know, it, is, it isn't sort of every other week. It's every single day. University Hospital Limerick seems to be high up there on a kind of a list that you don't want to be high up on. And then our own Cork University Hospital, it's 46 people. Now, I don't know what the breakdown of the 46. Some of those will be waiting in the emergency department and others will be on trolleys up in the wards waiting to get uh, beds. So that situation not getting any better. That's for sure. Cork County Council is about to appoint consultants who will see if it is feasible for the local authority to take control of all monitoring of existing and any new community CCTV systems in towns and villages in its jurisdiction. The issue was raised by Charleville-based councillor Ian Doyle, who joins me on the programme. Good morning to you, Ian. Morning, Patricia. Uh, Happy birthday to you. Thank you very much. (laughs) Uh, um, Now, the problem here uh, with CCTVs is data protection issues. Yeah. Just remind us what the concerns are here. Well, I suppose it's got very serious, Patricia, in the sense that about when the, at the start of this council, which is about four years ago, which is about four, four years ago, uh, we, or I, secured funding for a CCTV for Charleville Town. Yeah. And we, we allocated our town, town development fund, ring fence funding for that. So together with the Gardaí, uh, a security expert, uh, Charleville Chamber, who we allocated as being the lead partner, uh, Cork County Council staff. We we we, we identified ten sites in Charleville Town. We uh, put forward a tender document, which we put out to tender. And you know, after being getting interest, we awarded the tender. And for the last, you know, for the last couple of years, I've been inquiring to know what is the status of that, and I've been and it, the 
situation of data control has been brought up as being there's, oh, there's a delay in the data control. So um, as a result of my of my question last Monday, as uh, from an update on the data control situation, it now transcribes that it's actually more serious and that, like, you know, not only is Charlton uh, held up uh, to, to go forward with the CCTV, as is Mitchellstown, because we did the same in Mitchellstown, uh, the whole county actually is in doubt. And the existing systems that are in place, some of them actually have been shut down because of the data controller. Now, my understanding is the minister has issued a decree that, that it is up to the councils to appoint a department and to appoint a, a data controller in each of the council areas to oversee the CCTV. But as yet, we have not done that in, in Cork County. Do you know if other local authorities have done it? Uh, Limerick have done it, yes, and some local authorities have done it. Some of them now might have got in before the data control process has come in place, you know. But uh, certainly, um, yeah, the Limerick have, have it in place, but none in Cork County. And... It's very worrying because, not, I mean, the, the reply I got back was serious because not only, as I say, the, the, the systems that we need to put in place, like Charleville and Mitchellstown, and there was a Carrigal Line was there in Ballincollig and a few more places, and also um, Middleton. I mean, there are systems that need to be put in place and are not put in place. But as I say, the existing systems, I'm, I'm just after coming from the Garda station now, and they have been shut down for the last couple of months and are not being used either. So the ones that are in place... So, yeah, and I don't want to make a big deal out of it. I know, I know, that, for, I mean, for, for very that, I mean, obvious ones, reasons. I mean, it is, yeah, but it is totally contradictory. Okay, and, and the, the idea would be that the council would take over the running. Well, Does that mean they take well, over the monitoring of it? Well, the, the Guardian would take care, care of the monitoring of it, but, but there'd be a data controller which would be appointed by the council. So there would be a department. Now, there's obviously a budgetary situation, and there's no question about that. But, I mean, there needs to be a department set up in each of the council areas with a, a recognised data controller controller who's in charge of this information under the GDPR and that the Gardaí would go to them for permission and that they would use that they, I was just talking to the Gardaí today now and they were saying that you can use CCTV no problem provided it's obtained lawfully and as of, as of now with this new GDPR we can't get access to the information on our community based CCTVs because it's unlawful to do so and making it lawful would be having this data protection would, would, officer would, would, that you would go to to exactly, say, exactly. the guards would go to say, something happened, we need to review the exactly. the footage of that night, whatever it was. Exactly. And exactly. So, yeah. this so this, be, I mean, you know, this, this isn't rocket science. Oh, well, it needs to be done straight ASAP, to be quite honest with you. I mean, three years ago here in Charleville, we were waiting. But, I mean, I'll just pick a tongue. I mean, you, you know, you, you, you mentioned it at the, at the start of your programme. I mean, you're talking about antisocial behaviour, number yeah. one. And, that, and that's one. But number two is, I mean, it's there to help the retail outlets of the town because we're fighting to keep our businesses in the town and that's there to help them. But more importantly, and I suppose to help the Gardaí, I mean, towns like Charleville in particular, I mean, it's on the N20 between west and south of Cork. It's on the east-west junction as well. We're in the heart of Munster. I mean, we need to stop crime from passing through Charleville as well and help the Gardaí. You know, it's, it's you know, sort of, I don't want to be overemphasizing, but it's a natural rat run. And this, the, the inf- you know, the, the system that we had in place, we were putting it on both sides of the N20 and on both sides of the Killarney the, uh, West Road. And it was you know, state-of-the-art p- situation. You could identify not only the, the number plates, but the person inside in the cars. Wow. And yeah. the, and the so, money to cover the cost of well, the CCTV is there. Well the, the, well, the money to co- cover the cost of the CCTV is ring-fenced for our towns. Yeah, we, yeah. we require that. I mean, what needs to be done now is a budgetary position to be put in place to establish a data controller by the council. Now, I've been assured by the executive that they are going to do that over the next couple of months. Unfortunately, it's not going to happen within the lifetime of this council. 
you know, and I just asked it to be minuted, regardless of whether I'm there or not, that, that um, you know, that that budget is put forward in the next budgetary process, that, that it's done well before Christmas, because it's, it's vital for our town. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm yeah. assuming when it was raised at council level, you had the backing of all councillors oh, on this one. Total councillors, total councillors. I mean, we were, and like the, 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 the position is, we were at the launch of it, the one in charge, uh, Patricia, we were being asked, What's the situation? People are looking for it. Our traders are looking for it. Our townspeople are looking for it. The Gardaí are looking for it. We've also launched the one in Mitchestown and as yet, nothing has been done about it. That's shameful. That yeah. is shameful. Yeah. Okay, before we let you go, are you volunteering next Sunday for St. Joseph's uh, Foundation, yeah, Spring day, Fair? Big day, big yeah. day next Sunday now, St. Joseph's Foundation, yeah. And, uh, yeah fingers and crossed that it'll be a fine day. Great day, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, perfect. Yeah, it's and always, it's just, always just, great day. Uh, look, I know you have a quiz night tomorrow night as well. In the oh, you're very good. Yeah, All yeah, right, listen, stuff, take yeah. care, Ian, and yeah, thanks thank for joining you. us. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Councillor Ian uh, Doyle joining us from uh, Charleville, 1850-333-103. As soon as you mention antisocial behaviour, listener says, Patricia, antisocial behaviour doesn't say where this is going on, but we have antisocial behaviour in our estate. It's been going on for the last three and a half years we have reported it to the council they're doing nothing about uh, it a, a curfew was imposed uh, but a curfew was imposed but was broken um, all the laws have been broken it is a joke at this stage well I, I don't know if it, that was a curfew put in by the courts you could be going to the guards on that one I mean I don't know how what happens with the council when there is antisocial behaviour in a council estate and I'm assuming it gets reported to the council or I, to the council I don't know how that's handled do they have to have so many complaints in before they take action to you know do they meet with the family do they because nobody wants to be evicted from a home at the moment with the way the housing situation is I take it anybody living who has a, a local authority roof over their heads and I would just would like to think are not going to be stupid about getting involved in antisocial behaviour for fear that they would be evicted from their houses but that's not uh, you can't you can't account for stupidity I suppose This is the Court Today replay on C103 and we've just had a call in from a gentleman called Adrian in Skibbereen who tells us that about two weeks ago he was at the Fairfield Market in Skibbereen and he started to feel a little bit unwell. He didn't quite know what was wrong with him but he just knew he wasn't feeling 100%. And he said a very nice, kind lady called Claire. That's all he has. He doesn't have a surname. He doesn't know where she's from except he knows that her name is Claire. She obviously came to him and said that her name was Claire. She noticed that Adrian wasn't looking too good and was having a bit of a bad day. So she went over, approached him, said, are you okay? Adrian started saying, no, I'm not feeling that great. She said, look, I'll bring you home. And so this very kind lady, complete random act of kindness, took Adrian home. When he got home, he thought it'd be okay. You know, sit down and I'll be all right after a few minutes. But he says the day went on, he wasn't getting any better. He started to feel worse. And to make a long story short, he ended up in Bantry Hospital. And it turns out he was after having a mini stroke. Now, he got on to us this morning because he said he would love to pass on uh, a huge, huge thank you to Claire. He's been looking out for her around Skipperine and he hasn't managed to see her because uh, he said he doesn't know her but he knows what she looks like but he hasn't you know he didn't know her beforehand but he just wants to say thank you to her for it was such a lovely kind thing 
to do. He says he's doing well now, but he has a journey ahead of him, but he just wants to pass on his thanks to that very kind lady by the name of Claire. Now, it's a long shot. It'd be great if Claire was listening to us. I don't know if she is or if somebody knows of Claire. Claire might have told that story to somebody how she was in Fairfield Market in Skibbereen Saturday two weeks ago and how she helped this gentleman. And for whatever reason, whatever way he looked, Claire looked at him and said, you're not doing too good and approached him to see could she help in any way. So well done to Claire and that wonderful spirit of kindness that we have in in Cork. Long may that last. Long may it last. Okay, 1850-333-103. Now, local residents of Lep in West Cork have been highlighting the speed of motorists through the village and local councillors have been calling on Transport Infrastructure Ireland to introduce traffic calming measures as a matter of urgency. West Cork Councillor Joe Carroll uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Joe. Good morning, Patricia. And How are you? I'm very well. You're welcome to the programme. Thank now, you. it's been referred to as some as liking it to Mandela race track in LEP. How, how, how bad is the speeding? Well, uh, Patricia, there, I suppose that might be a little bit over the top, but at the same time, what's happening there is not acceptable. We're not, uh, the people of LEP are, are really angry over the speed. The speed is uh, that's, that's now uh, taking part in LEP with the new road. The new road is, is, is a wonderful thing, the most welcome thing that LEP, LEP people wanted it. They wanted the, the surface of the road through LEP was in a uh, dire, shocking state. And uh, we, we, we kind of made cases, for uh, very strong cases, for new surface in LEP. It came, came, it took a long time, and it was, they were at it for a long time there all last year. And eventually we wound up with a perfect surface in LEP. But what happened, the speed through LEP took off. And uh, we have, uh, right in the, there in the middle of lip, we have the national school, and we have the church, and we have the shop, and right there, and I think they passed that place, some people passed that place there sometimes during a speed, that uh, it's not safe to even, to, to even attempt, attempt to cross the road. So we want to do something about that. And, and you're saying that before, because the road surface was so bad, it wasn't possible to achieve those speeds. Is, the, is that the problem? Well, I'd imagine if they, yeah, you did right there, there would be a few potholes and if you have a rough surface, people tend to go slower, I'm sure. Yeah. And uh, they, they tend to look after their, their vehicles. And um, But no, uh, no, it, it's nowadays. It's, I, I was in Lep last week actually canvassing and we, it's, that, that's when you actually see it right, when you walk in the street. And I, I remember one point I was standing next to a friend of mine and there was two trucks, two Arctic trucks past us down the hill. And the speed they were going was totally unacceptable because you go down into a dip right in the middle of the lip. You and, do, yeah. And yeah. where people actually cross the road pretty often, you know, they go over from what they go, there's, there's parking on both sides, you know. Yeah. So uh, they, 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 it's, it's not, it's, it's dangerous to even look at them. I saw the two trucks going down the hill now and then they weren't, uh, they, they were going too fast. I'm shocked. I'm shocked to hear you say Arctic trucks. I was assuming we were going to end up having a conversation about boy racers. But I mean, if it's Arctic trucks... No, no, no. I mean, I, 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 maybe I, I've, I've no stories about Arctic, about um, by races. No, no, no. No, it's the general speed of all vehicles going through. It has, yeah. to, be, it has to be. And is it, is it a particular time of the day or can it happen at any time, Joe? Well, no, any time at the time. I was there, not just the middle of the day and I didn't like to speed those two trucks for doing it all at all. No, I, 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 I'm well aware I'm driving all my life. Truck drivers in general are very safe, very safe on the road and they're, they're very experienced, most of them all. But it's, I think it's the surface and the fall going down through left there that tends that that makes it look it makes it look like they're going faster or something like that. And um, I certainly wouldn't want to. You, you wouldn't. You'd, you'd be very careful crossing the road uh, there on left. Yeah. And, and it, am it, I right in saying the speed limit is is fifty kilometres? Isn't it through it through is, Lepia? It, it is. Yeah. It is indeed. But you see, 
I know speed limits are there and they, they should be obeyed, but they, they, people tend to, to, you know, when there's no, I mean, and I, we don't want Gardaí to be present and left at all times. There's no need for that at all. What we want is simple calming measures. Yeah. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think you're based in North Cork. Yeah. And they they, they, they did a wonderful job there in Butmond with a, a lovely new surface through the town of Butmond. And they have those, they don't have ramps, but they have the tabletop. Is and, that what they're called? They're, yeah, they're like very long speed ramps. You have to but they're not them as high. And you have to get down off them. Yeah, you, you don't yeah. do any damage to your vehicle, but yeah. they do slow you down. And uh, before the work ever started in LIP, people in LIP, and I know I can name them, but I won't do it on the radio, did ask me before, for, for heaven's sake, before they do the surface here, will you please ask them to, to put in some form of. Traffic, traffic calming, yeah. Traffic calming. So why don't they? I, I, I see. To be fair, no. We as councillors, we're dealing with Cork County Council, and they're just some wonderful people. In, uh, we're dealing with us there, but we're dealing with TII Transport Infrastructure Ireland, and they're a different body of people. They, they, I can tell you, to get them to change their mind on anything is 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 like you, you're, you're dealing with it. I don't know why we've been up to them on a number of occasions before. Meet met them in delegations, and they, they look at you, and they, they you, you go to the door, and you will. You, you come down from Dublin knowing that your trip to Dublin was a waste because you, you're just talking to people that don't even want to engage with you, you know? And who haven't a, even a clue where LEP is and have never that, been to LEP and don't, real, don't realise the seriousness. Did I read somewhere that the TII said that because it's on the N71, they couldn't erect speed bumps? Is that Well, re- exactly. There's my point. And this is, the, this is the reply they made that it was because the N71, and I made it, the reply straight back, what about Butterfield? is also uh, the, 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 what do you call it a national secretary road a, a national yeah. secretary road down, yeah. to, down to Limerick so where are we why, why is it okay you can't have rules for except for the south and west yeah but you can't have rules for one town and then and one village and then change it for another one that Not doesn't make all. any no, sense there shouldn't be any reason why those tabletops can't be put in lip and as well as that we are looking for what is no I think I, 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 we, I, I brought up at a meeting last week again for all the villages and towns in Cork County should be a policy of Cork County to put in those lights that tell you the speed you're doing, mm. uh, which is, um, they're called driver speed feedback lights. Yeah, they're now, fantastic. Those, those, uh, recently they put those in, into a place in, in, in copying. They're in Dunmanway. Like if I, I know myself when I'm going to Dunmanway from the west. The very minute I see those lights, I I, uh, I tend to slow down immediately. Well, you straight down. away, you straight away look at your speedometer to yeah, make sure to make sure that you're within the limit. You do, you yeah. do, you do. And I mean, I think they're a wonderful thing, and I think that it should be a policy. I think we will get him through trial before and through different sources like that. But I think it should be a policy of the council to engage and and uh, whatever source that they, they get these these lights from. That there should be in most villages and towns in the county. And when you go into a built-up area, you should see those lights in front of you telling you the speed you're doing. And, and uh, like you, you will react. I know you will react. I remember doing a couple of interviews with, and I'm sure Councillor Franco Flynn was one of the interviews I did where uh, we spoke about those lights to tell people what speed they were doing. Was there not a deal where the local community had to come up with the money? They had to do fundraising for it. Now then, say when the saw, uh, well, when these things are, uh, and did community council did come forward with ideas that they would contribute as well. Yeah. And they, 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 I know in other villages they have come up and said, listen, we'll contribute something if the council will contribute the rest. But I don't think it should. We should have to go there. I think we should have to. Um, we should get the council, to, and, and and maybe nationwide to make it a policy. Mm. Of going mm. when you go into a town or a village, that these lights should be standing in front of you, telling you the speed you're doing, and 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 most of all, when you're going down, especially when there's a fall into a village or a fall into a town, 
that people would have to would, would immediately curtail their speed because as I said no I mean when, I, when they and Copine traffic was travelling with through Copine coming from the Cork City side going down through Copine they were hitting a very high speed but now these lights are, 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 will, will, will kind of remind people of what they're doing and I think they should be in lip and I think we should have the tabletop yeah, as well. The tabletop. Uh, it, it would certainly make people slow down well, because, because let's be honest, Joe. Speed kills. We we know, and the research is there, and the statistics are there that speed kills. Uh, speed is the biggest killer in my in my mind, anyway. Because um, a, a vehicle a vehicle going too fast is often a vehicle out of control. I know. Uh, look, I'll let me go back to Lip again. I was in Lip last week canvassing, and it was the main the main topic at most of the doors was what, what yeah. are you going to do about the speed through lip and, it, and to be fair we have to represent the people and that was what the main topic was what are you going to do about, do about the speed through here and I mean as, as I said we if we were dealing with our own personnel in Cork County Council we would have something done immediately with it but it's, uh, it's TII and TII TII then are demanding a survey should be done of some sort. You don't. You don't need to do any survey. Yeah, I saw that last month at a council meeting when again you were raising you and other councillors were raising this uh, issue. There was talks of the council doing uh, a speed survey, and my instant thought was, is that not a waste of money? A waste of money and a waste of time because, as I said, I, I maybe know they have to go the official route for TII. I suppose they do. And 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 friends can maybe bring up figures to these people. That's what you have to do because that they will demand figures. But really and truly, standing on the side of the street in Lip, you will you 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 will see what's going on. You don't need a survey; it's there in front of you. And uh, as I said, especially when you you pass the school, you're going west then, and then you come to where uh, there's a cross turning Lip for Glendore. Right there, there's a, a dip. Well, there has to be some form of a ramp put behind that junction because they go down that 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 home too fast in my book, and I've been watching them. So um, we are very uh, insistent, and, and we will continue to demand. And we want it done. As the people, in the, as particularly the, the mothers of the children going to school, the parents, they are very much, they're, they're very angry over this business. They want something done. Yeah, but about you, the you, yeah, but you, you don't need that every day when you're trying to get children over and back to school, and your heart's in your mouth trying to trying to cross the road. And for elderly people, it just must be a nightmare trying to judge: Will I make it across? If you're not that quick on your feet. Of you know, a lot of people yeah. both of the street and left there and they have to cross okay, over to one of side f- to get a bus and they have to cross over to the other side then they have to go to the post office uh, which we are delighted is back in action and going well in LEP as well. Fantastic, fantastic. But, uh, okay, some of the comments in the listeners saying this gentleman uh, is making so much sense there. The gentleman is West Coast Councillor uh, Joe Coward. He's making so much sense but here we go again. There are simple solutions to the problems which he's outlined but the powers that be uh, don't seem to want to just go with the simple solutions. Uh, yeah, and thanks for that comment, whoever that person is. But I, I want to say is that really we want to get, uh, we, we are council, but we want, we want to get more senior politicians involved here as, as well because it's they are the people that can really knock at the door of the TII in Dublin. They are the people that can actually tell, look, there's a crisis here in Lep, it has to be dealt with. And uh, I think these are the people. As I said, I've been up on delegations before with Cork County Council and we came back disappointed. We went up last year to see Mr Ross and a number of us, we were, we won't be going back to meet the man again because he didn't do it. <laughs> he, 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 he is the transport minister. He is the transport minister. I can tell you one thing. I think uh, any time he he did come to West Cork once, and I he think did? He, I think he as far as I'm concerned, when he got back to Dublin, he he needed a bit of counselling because he didn't enjoy his stay away at all the rain road island. Uh, so, and, and another listener says a van and a car parked up on the footpath outside the lip lep in every day and night blocks the view of the motorists coming from the Glandor Road. Uh, cars have to pull out to get a view of cars coming from the Skibbereen side. That sounds like stupid parking. 
Oh, well, I wouldn't know. I think there's actually there's room enough there for that for to, to come out. I, I'm not really sure. I, I wouldn't. Well, this that is parked on the footpath, so they're obviously blocking uh, yeah, the view. Yeah. That's an issue though for the Gardaí if somebody because really sure that's that's yeah. illegal parking. Okay, yeah. so where are you at with it, with all of this now, Joe? You've raised it again at council level. What so what was the last that the, the the executive of the council said? I think the last meeting we had was that a, that a letter would be written to the TII, and um, but a letter a letter going to the TII is, is not going to do very much for us but that's that's the only options that are open to us really but I do, I do think that uh, that we have to engage our, 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 our senior politicians um, You just have to keep the pressure on To keep the pressure on They're, yeah. they're the people really that, that, that can knock at the doors up there in Dublin We, we can't do that down here and um, they'll have to do something about it because as I said I go to Lip a lot and I, it's one of the villages I, I, I enjoy meet, meeting people but I, I tell you one thing meeting people of late there I'm meeting a lot of anger a lot of anger a lot of anger I can see anger. it in calls and texts coming in okay we leave it there no doubt it's an issue we will get back to you again uh, but in the meantime Joe thank you for that and thanks for joining us thanks Patricia good morning to you that is West Cork Councillor Joe Carroll you're listening to Cork Today on replay phone and text lines are currently closed would you give a shout out, says the texter, to Brian Barry Murphy. He had his first win last night as the new Rochdale manager. Jimmy Barry Murphy must be so proud indeed. Yeah, well done to Brian Barry Murphy on that great win for Rochdale last night. Going to the phone lines where Louis uh, joins me. Uh, good morning to you, Louis. Good morning, Patricia. How are you this lovely morning? I'm very good. And we need to clarify, you're definitely Louis and not Louise. Well, you have, you've heard some of the letters out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, take us back. This was all to do with the refund that we got from Irish Water. They paid out to people who had paid their water charges when they decided to abolish it. So that's you right. you waited anxiously for your cheque in the post and it came and that's when your problem started. Yeah. So that's what happened anyway. That's going back to January of last year. And it came, and uh, what uh, it was uh, the check was made out, uh, as you said, was made out to Louise Murphy. Okay. So uh, I decided then uh, that uh, when, well, first of all, I was going to the bank anyway, I said, bring down the check with me, and of course, they wouldn't honor it anyway. So I came back then, and uh, I decided I must do something um, about it. Because in between, I was ringing their phone number as well in Irish Water, and I could be ringing forever. But there was no answer, nothing whatsoever. So I decided then to um, return the cheque and the letter with it, explaining, etc., that uh, that was made out to the wrong person to make the new cheque out to myself, Louis Murphy. Yeah. So that was done, and that was in January of last year, which is 15 months ago. So the whole summer passed by anyway. And the autumn passed by and I got no response, nothing. Not even but an acknowledgement of the letter? Nothing at all from Irish Water, nothing. Okay. So in October, anyway, I decided to write again to Irish Water and tell them that I'm waiting for the cheque, etc., in my proper name from, from Irish Water. So, so that was done. And then I said, surely they'll do something. But nothing happened, so... Nothing happened until after Christmas. And then after Christmas, well, what am I going to do? Because I'm, I was over found a hundred euro, like as yourself, that we, we all got a, a refund. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, another letter came in the door. So it came from LPT, 
<laughs> Your lo- local property tax. Um, you know, uh, LPT, you do. Yeah, the local yeah. property tax. You, you, get, right. you get a bill every year for it. Yeah, that's right. So they were looking for their um, bit of money as well. So I got a bit of a brainwave and I decided then that I would deduct what was owed to me by the uh, water from the LPT. And uh, shall we say it was around the 500 for the LPT and the water was around the 100. So I made out a check anyway for 400 to to the Revenue Commissioners for the LPT. And uh, so... Everything appears to be going well, but about four or five weeks... And sorry now, sorry, when you sent off the reduced local property tax cheque, did you put a note in saying, I'm deducting the €100 that Irish Water owe me? Exactly, I wrote a letter. All right, okay, so you explained it, that if you want, if they want their €100, they can go to Irish Water and they have your €100 and you can pass it over. I wrote a letter all to them. Perfect, so okay. that was that. So a month later, anyway, a, a, a nice brown envelope with a half minute arrived in the door. I'm sure it did. <laughs> and and, and was uh, from revenue. No, we're not going to... I'm uh, leaving out a small bit, which I'll okay. tell you, like the last bit. Yeah. But, I'll leave it but this was from revenue and was we local property, tax property, this and the whole of it. No, I'm not going to go through it all because it will take a bit of time. But it was a threat from them. <laughs> so that's an account of the fact that they didn't get the full amount in the, the, the money from me. So, and down at the bottom of it anyway, this is what they will do to me. <laughs> they will, um, property owners who fail to comply with the LPT obligations, etc., etc., referral and so forth. But anyway, the, the interesting part is this. A charge on the property which must be paid before any sale or transfer of ownership can take place. Withholding yeah. of tax claim certification. Mandatory uh, deduction at local uh, employment, income, pension, etc. will be taken. Interest charges of 8% and so forth and so forth. All of this is going to happen to me even though I'm owed money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, they, but they'll say, yeah, yeah, you, it's Irish Water owe you money. This is revenue. You know what <laughs> revenue are like, Louis. They want I their know, money. Sure, I know, but sure, I mean, sure, it was it money. was worth chan- it was worth trying it. But we still have to get to the bottom of where is your money. Well, I mean, we'll get on to Irish Water if we have your permission to give your details on that. We'll get on to Irish Water and see if we can find out where your money's gone. In the meantime, yeah. uh, dear. I say to you and dare I suggest to you that sort out revenue give them their hundred because they won't give up they're like a dog with a bone yeah so but look at before you go yeah I said I leave out an interesting part to my letter that I got from them go on <laughs> and you laugh at this now <laughs> go on you're a tip wound no more about it <laughs> the, che- the letter that I got in this brown envelope last week was from revenue etc yeah. But, and uh, given out hell to me. And it is addressed... Are you ready? Yeah. It is addressed to Miss Louis Murphy. And <laughs> 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 was your other uh, was your other LPT made out to Miss Louis? Louis yeah. Louis, oh, so they out. think... So they have a problem with your sexuality? 
dare I say. There must know something about me. <laughs> something that you don't know yourself, Louis, that's for sure. Okay, <laughs> listen, we'll get on to Irish Water and we'll see if we can get your 100 euro back anyway. But uh, listen, you've cheered me up, that's for sure, and, and, and brightened our day. Uh, thanks a million and look after yourself, okay? And you too, but and all is well, and all is well over in Tiffin. It is, all is good, all is until, good. Until we meet on the plane. That's it, and that's when the fun begins. Yeah. God bless. So, Take care, Louis. Patricia, thanks a thanks million. Thanks a million, and thanks uh, for joining us, uh, Louis, who doesn't know if he's Mr. Uh, Mrs. or Ms. A bizarre story indeed. Let's see. We'll get on to Irish Water and see if we can, uh, we can work out. But a clever, clever plan because, yeah, his point is they all work for the state. All the money is going into the same pot. You'd like to think it's all going into the same pot, but unfortunately, this is not the way the revenue uh, works, but it certainly was worth a try. We've been asked to mention there's a tractor and bike run going to take place in Barrett's pub in Kilmeady. And it is on this coming Sunday at 11 o'clock and it is in aid of the wonderful Marymount Hospice you're please asked uh, to support on traffic issues. Kay in Mallow said she was tr- driving into the city yesterday and she was parked at Blackpool at the traffic lights. And she said a motorbike came in between this two lanes of traffic there. A um, um, motorbike came between Kay's car and the car in the lane beside her and but and, and did it in order to skip the queue to get to the lights so drove up through other cars obviously uh, to get to, to, to be right in front of the lights uh, Kay says his motorbike was almost touching her car and she said when the lights then changed she felt she couldn't move off until he moved because she was afraid he was just so close to her car and she said it isn't the first time it's happened and she feels that motorbikes should be obeying the rules of the road. And now, uh, she reckons that they're not obeying the rules of the road by doing this, by weaving in between cars to get up to the top of the line of traffic. She, now, I don't know, maybe somebody out there who knows the rules of the road better than I do, I don't know what the rules of the road are with regard to motorbikes. She's suggesting that motorbikes should obey the rules of the road, the same as every other car, and that when they pull up to a line of traffic, they should just pull in behind the next car. So even if there's, say, 10 cars in the line heading to the traffic light, they shouldn't be allowed to be able, and the traffic lights are red, they shouldn't be able to allow to either weave up the side or go up the inside or go in and out of cars to get to the top. And uh, she is wondering, do what others think? Do others notice this uh, as well? She sees a lot of it uh, going on. Uh, but she said literally yesterday she couldn't move until he moved off. As I say, I don't know what the rules governing it. Is that breaking the rules of the road to have a motorbike do that you know a motorbike I've seen them do it they can go up on the inside of the traffic they can go up on the outside of the traffic I've seen them weave in and out if you're parked in a long line of traffic to get them up to the front are they by the rules of the road are they allowed to do that maybe somebody who regularly drives a motorbike might be able to fill us in and Pat in Formoy was on to us to say he's actually got onto the council in Formoy over this issue something that's a kind of a bugbear of his it's to do with the street litter bins and he said they have street litter bins in Formoy same kind of street litter bins they have them all over the city and uh, county and regularly I don't know if it happens daily or a couple of times a day or a couple times a week a council truck will arrive to empty the street bins and inside in the, in the street bins there's a large black bag and, and obviously the members of the public throw the rubbish into that and then uh, Pat says black bag then is taken out of 
the street litter bin and put into this council truck. But Pat reckons about 80% of the items that's in the street bins surely are recyclable. And she's wondering, are those items recycled? Or does the whole black bag with everything in it, does it just all go to landfill or does it go to an incinerator somewhere? So it's been bothering him. So he actually contacted the council. He got on to somebody in the council explained what his concerns were they put him through to the environmental department somebody who was speaking to the environmental department said no we only deal with uh, public littering and we don't deal with our own in-house rubbish uh, you know so he said I, I can't tell you the person in the environmental department was not able to tell Pat what they do with the rubbish that they collect out of the bins. He's also approached some councillors and asked them and they don't seem to know either. What I'd suggest is maybe that the the councillor get onto your local councillor again, uh, Pat, one of your councillors and see if they can bring it up at a council meeting to find out what happens. My gut instinct would tell me that anything that would be in that bag even if it was recyclable would be contaminated because if you throw you know if you throw something into the bin for example tin cans they're obviously recyclable if you're out having a you know a can of fizzy drink on the street and you put that in in, and then somebody comes along and they've been eating say a bag of chips and the bag of chips they didn't eat them all and they all go in and then somebody else would come along with some kind of a cardboard box that would be recyclable and they would put that in but then the person coming in afterwards would have a drink can or with drink left in it or a plastic bottle with drink left in it and that goes in and the drink seeps out onto everything else everything in those bins would just be contaminated so I'm assuming even the items that could be recycled if it's one bin like that are kind of our standard litter bins you will see certainly in other countries and I don't know if we have them maybe we have them in some of the larger urban areas in some of the cities you will see recycling bins public recycling bins where you'll see a bin where they'll ask you to put your cardboard and your dry and your paper into into, and you'll see a bin where they'll look for the cans or the plastic bottles and then there'll be a bin for the general waste that has to go that can't be uh, recycled but for me I would my gut instinct would tell me and I know the point you're making it seems such a waste but then that goes back to the members of the public if you're out on the street and you have an item that can be recycled don't put it into the street bin because it's not going to get recycled. It's just going to end up in landfill. 1850 333 103 lines open. C103 Jobs. Skilled labourer required for the North Cork area. You need to have a full clean driver's licence. Any bass, they're looking for a part time administrator slash salesperson to work a minimum of three days per week. That's in their shop in Skull. Some weekend work will be required. Housekeeper is required to lead a cleaning team that's at a West Cork holiday home complex and an experienced full-time deli assistant is required for a busy deli in the Canturk area. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. Hi, Martina here. Join me every weekday from 4 to 7 for Drive Time, where I'll keep you up to date on all the latest traffic information. We'll spread some positivity with our feel-good story and song of the day. And of course, we'll be serving up a generous portion of Cork's greatest hits. C103. Cork today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. And weaving through the traffic, the this is the listener who's on to us about the motorbikes yesterday. 
yesterday when she was in the city and the problem with the motorbike being parked too close to her car and she says she sees it all the time and uh, she's just wondering is it illegal so it's Kay and Mallow is it illegal for are they breaking the rules of the road by doing it somebody that I'm assuming knows the rules of the road maybe a motorbike rider uh, says that it is legal to do that motorbikes are allowed to what's called filter I've been using the word weave they're allowed to filter through traffic to get to the top of the line of traffic so it is legal to do it uh, thank you for that 1850 now an information meeting to raise awareness of hemochromatosis will be held this night week at the Clayton Hotel on Laps Quay hemochromatosis is a hereditary disorder and is more common in Ireland than anywhere else in the world. To discuss the condition, I'm joined by Margaret Mullet, who is chairperson of the Irish Hemochromatosis Association. Good morning to you, Margaret. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and you're, you're welcome to the programme. I suppose, start by explaining what is hemochromatosis. Well, hemochromatosis is an iron overload disorder. It's a hereditary condition and it's more common in Ireland than anywhere in the world. And people with hemochromatosis, they keep absorbing iron even though they already have enough iron because they have a fault in a gene. And to have hemochromatosis, you need to get a faulty gene or a mutated gene from each of your parents. It's similar to red hair or blue eyes where you need to get um, a gene from both parents. It's said to be homozygous recessive. And um, it's very, very important that uh, hemochromatosis is diagnosed in time. Why is it so common in Ireland? Well, I think one of the reasons they say is that at the time of the famine, it was a, a useful mutation when Ireland was in short supply. So those with the um, hemochromatosis, they were able to absorb iron. And the other thing, of course, is that for years and years, we've been marrying within a very tight gene pool. And uh, those are the reasons uh, why it's so common. Mm. And it's also very common in countries and uh, where the Irish have emigrated to um, in the UK, in America, Canada, Australia. It's, it's particularly common as well. Yeah, and that's where, I, in, particularly in Irish communities, where Irish marry other Irish that's people right. that, yeah, that's and right. descendants of other I- Irish that's people. Right. Do you believe it is underdiagnosed in this country? It is underdiagnosed. Of course it is. But not as much as it was. Um, I was at a meeting in Galway last night and um, they mentioned that they have 2,000 patients um, on their list who are getting a venous section in Galway. It's much more diagnosed now than it was, but there is still a huge number of people. If you mention hemochromatosis, they are, haven't actually heard of it. Yeah, they'll which go... It's very disappointing. They'll, yeah, they'll go what? Have, yeah, you've helped us, Patricia. You've um, highlighted hemochromatosis uh, previously when we've had an awareness day in Cork and... Uh, we're having an awareness day as well this as day the week. next week. This day week. We have, okay, yeah. do, explain to people how it's diagnosed. Um, yes. Well, first of all, um, people, the doctor might suspect that they had hemochromatosis if they went to the doctor and said they had chronic fatigue or joint pain or maybe uh, loss of sex drive. You know, depending on what they told the doctor, you know, he might suspect that they had hemochromatosis. And he would first of all do a ferritin test. That's an iron test. And then there's a second test he would do as well. It's called transferrin saturation. And it's the iron that's going around the body. And if those were raised, 
then he would move on and get a genetic test done. But the ferritin could be raised for other reasons other than hemochromatosis. It could be raised if people had an infection or if maybe they'd been having uh, a bit too much to drink. But the transfer and saturation, if that's raised, um, that's a very good indicator that they possibly have hemochromatosis and then they send away a test and have the genetic test done. Yeah, and then what I've noticed is that once a family member gets diagnosed, then they alert everybody else. Because of the nature of it being hereditary, it would be unusual that there was only one member of the family would have it. Yes, it would. And sometimes the whole family might have it. Um, If it happened that both parents, as was the case in my family, I had the two genes, my husband had the two genes, so my five children who are well adults now, they would all have hemochromatosis. But suppose the two parents were had just had one gene, they wouldn't have had hemochromatosis, they'd be called a carrier. And a lot of Irish people are carriers, a huge number. If two carriers marry, then the chances are 25% that uh, one in four of the children would have it. Yeah, because I, I actually have um, hemochromatosis and so does my sister. And out of five of us, Two have it and one is a carrier. Yes. So that so, would definitely So both of our parents were carriers rather than having it. Yes. Probably. One of your parents could have had it and one have could have been a carrier. Yeah, yeah. That's um, Yeah, 50%. but it but it but it took it took for one sister to get diagnosed for a number of years ago and for the rest of us to go, What what are you talking about? None of us knew what it was. Then we all went off and and uh, got tested. Uh, and I also had a diagnosis of an underactive thyroid. So yes. which can have similar symptoms to hemochromatosis in the in the extreme tiredness. Yeah, so it's great that you were diagnosed, isn't it? I absolutely, think you're absolutely. Born with, you're born with the two genes, so you can do nothing about that. But the fact that you're diagnosed means that you can go and get your blood taken and uh, every time you give a unit of blood, you lose 250 milligrams of iron. As you say, it's all about early diagnosis, isn't it? And, and that di- is, and that, because somebody's saying, how is it treated? It, it's treated by giving blood. It is. It's called venous section or phlebotomy, but it's just like giving blood. It's the same as people give blood in the, the blood bank. And the blood bank is now, um, it has a clinic in Cork where people can go and have their blood taken, people with hemochromatosis, and the blood will be used. Because and there was the, a time where they weren't using the blood. But there was a time when it was impossible and they wouldn't take the blood and they would say uh, they would only take the blood if you were giving it for altruistic reasons. But thank God that's all finished with now. So you have the clinic in Cork, the clinic in Dublin, and as well as that, it's gone nationwide in that they're taking the blood in mobile clinics as well. And it's very uh, easy to access. You can, you know, uh, ring the blood bank or you can... Um, Google it and you'll find when the clinic is coming to your local area. To your area. And th- talk to me, Margaret, about the dangers if it's if it's left undiagnosed. Yeah, if it's left undiagnosed, it can be very serious. Like, I don't want to talk too much about my own situation, but my husband, uh, he was a, a doctor himself and he wasn't diagnosed in time. And he was undiagnosed six weeks before he died. But in his case, the iron had gone to his heart he had a regular heartbeat and he died awaiting a heart transplant. Oh so God. if it's not treated, um, you'll get, um, you can get uh, cirrhosis of the liver, you can get um, a severe joint pain, uh, you can get uh, 
irregular heartbeat and then you can have the other functions uh, at least the other symptoms like um, loss of sex drive you know which can be serious yeah. uh, for for young people or for old people or you might have uh, um, an enlarged liver or you might get um, diabetes type 2 diabetes because the iron would have gone to the pancreas as well and uh, you, you could get type 2 diabetes. Okay, listener wants to know, do you have to ask the doctor to test for hemochromatosis or is it tested when you give blood? No, it's not routinely tested, that's okay. definite. And, uh, you know, I always think it's important that the doctor, you know, if you tell the doctor you're tired and, you know, even exaggerate your tiredness, well, insist that you are tired because people wait tired and they put the tiredness down. They think, oh, I'm getting older yeah, or yeah. or you know, I'm working very hard. And But um, if they have chronic fatigue and joint pain, often in their knuckles and in their ankles. But um, the doctors now, a lot of them will, will when the person tells them the symptoms, uh, they will go and do the ferritin and the transferring saturation. And what's the, what's the joint pain in the knuckles and the ankles? That's uh, uh, calcium has deposited in the All right, and it causes pain. Okay, all right. So you are hosting a an information meeting in the Clayton Hotel on Lapsky, and it's it is this night week at uh, um, half past seven. And, and Margaret, who are you hoping will go along to that kind of meeting? Is the people who've already been diagnosed? Yes, both. 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 Okay. Who are already diagnosed? people who have family members and um, as you said it's very important that once one person in a family is diagnosed all the siblings have to be tested mm. and, and and the parents as well should be tested okay and someone says how often should you get your blood tested when you are di- once you have been diagnosed well i think they'll they'll tell you that in in the hospitals you know some people when they're diagnosed they might have a very high ferritin level. You know, it could be two or 3,000. And those people will need to go back very often and give a, a unit of blood until they bring down the ferritin. Other people um, might have the genes, but they mightn't have um, loaded iron. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's keeping this around the 50s and around the 50 it mark. Is, it yeah. is, it is. Okay. It is. Um, you know, it's all I, I do, I do. I do indeed. Well, I'm, I'm blessed, Margaret, so far, touch wood quickly, that I haven't had to give blood yet, but my sister, God be good to her, she's constantly giving blood. Hers is always going up and I haven't. I've kept mine under 50. So I'm I'm doing well so far. That's not to say that that's not going to change because it, poss- it possibly will. And there's another good news story for hemochromatosis patients this week in that you can now give blood at your GP. Yeah, that's great news. You know, the association had campaigned for that and had uh, Leo Varadkar had put us on a working party to draw up a model of care for uh, hemochromatosis. So now the situation is that people with medical cards, in the past they had to go to their hospital and uh, I live in Ballybunion and people would have had to go 20 miles into Tralee. But from now on, the GPs have a new contract and they Brilliant. will get paid for taking the blood of uh, hemochromatosis patients. So people can go, if they have the medical card, they can go to their local GP. Yeah, and it'll, it'll make it so much easier for people as well. It so it's, it's crazy. And a quick final question in from a listener saying, I have repeatedly asked uh, my doctor to test me please for hemochromatosis, as, uh, but my doctor refuses, even though my dad had it. Well, that's a, he shouldn't refuse yeah, because you are just that person 
is definitely a carrier. They definitely have one gene yeah. because their dad had two and they definitely have one. And I can see the person would uh, want to know whether they had the other one or not. Absolutely. I changed doctors. There must be another. If there's another doctor in the practice, go to a different doctor. All right, Margaret, listen, uh, great to talk to you. Good luck with the, me- the information meeting next Wednesday. And we will remind listeners about it again next week. Half seven, uh, Clayton Hotel on Lapsky. Yes, and Patricia, it's Dr. James Ryan. He's a consultant. He's a consultant. Um, endocrinologist at the Martyr. he's at the Martyr Hospital okay listen we leave it there Margaret thank you for that thank you so and, much and uh, thanks a million thanks for joining us that is um, uh, God bless Margaret Mullet who is chairperson of the Irish Hemochromatosis Association 107 years ago on this very day HMS Titanic set sail from Southampton called it Cherbourg in France and then on to Queenstown now Cove before heading west to New York four days later after colliding with an iceberg Titanic sank in the North Atlantic Ocean with the loss of more than 1500 lives next Sunday Cove will remember those lost lives and joining me with details uh, Hendrik Verwe of Cove of uh, tourism. Uh, good morning to you, Hendrick. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and you're welcome. Is this annual ceremony of remembrance, is it very important to the people of Cove? It is indeed. Um, I suppose the Titanic is, is a, an integral part of the story of Cove and its history, but I suppose it's only one part of the history of Cove. But Titanic is such a strong brand still, 107 years after it came to an untimely end with the loss of so many lives. And the people of Cove feel a very strong connection to the ship and what happened and the passengers on board. And remind us of the passengers who boarded at Cove and, and how many survived and how many perished. Yeah, well, 123 passengers boarded in Cove, so some of them were first class, not very many. Most of them were third class. And 79 of them perished wow. um, a couple of days later when the ship sank, I suppose, because so many of them were third class. It, it, didn't, it didn't help their chances. Um, and included in that, of course, was the Rice family. The, the whole family perished, you know, all in one go. You know, a very, very sad story. Um, and and these know, they, were heading to America for a new life. Yeah, basically, I suppose they they would have stood on the pier in Cove, the, the White Star Line pier. I suppose full of excitement. I suppose full of trepidation and full of not knowing what was lying ahead. And I suppose saying goodbye to family and friends that they probably felt they may never see again. And I suppose. You know, they probably never realised that, you know, 79 of them absolutely would never see their loved ones again, you know. And of the set of 123 of 79 died, were many from the Cork area? Um, you have me there, I suppose. But there was definitely, I, 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 on recollection, I think maybe around 20. But, you know, there, there was... Yeah, because they would have come from all over the country. Yes, like yeah. there's a big group from, from a parish called Edrigal up in Mayo, you know. So they, they commemorate... Um, as well every year as well like there's 13 or 14 people from that area was there was there goodness and the location for next Sunday's event is is very fitting yes um, a little change from previous years in that this year we're going to start the ceremony in the Titanic Memorial Garden which if people haven't been to Cove or haven't seen the Titanic Memorial Garden it's certainly a place that you should seek out it's at the east end of the town so I suppose you you just keep walking along the seafront, not not right down at the seafront, but you come along a street called Harbour Row, and then you take a right towards where the pilot boats are tied up. And right there, it's in an old fort. So it was a, initially it was a, a defence mechanism for the, the harbour before Spike Island was built and before the other two forts were built. Um, this was fort. It was called Cove Fort, um, built in the 1800s. Um, then it became... Um, 
a park in the 1950s and then it, it fell into complete disrepair. But it looks out towards uh, Roaches Point where the Titanic was anchored. So you, you're looking straight out the harbour on a beautiful day like today. It's, there's nowhere else you should be. Um, mm. It's a very, very peaceful spot. And it's laid out. There's lots of information there about the Titanic, um, but also other ships that you know are synonymous with Cork Harbour, like the Sirius and the QE2 and the Innes Fallon, and you know ships that really resonate with the people of Cork. And um, it's there with a glass memorial wall is the centerpiece of this memorial garden, and engraved on the glass wall. And the glass wall is about 16 feet long, um, and about four or five feet tall. And the names of the 123 passengers who boarded the Titanic in Queenstown are etched onto that glass wall. You can look through it, out to where the Titanic anchored. Um, and then, of course, the 79 people who perished, which is a little star next to their names. So you know what their fate was. Um, so it's a beautiful location. Um, so we're going to start the ceremony there. There will be a replayed at the glass memorial wall. And then we'll move to the centre of Cove, um, where the Titanic Memorial is um, in Pier Square, and there'll be further ceremonies there. So there are fitting ceremonies there, you know, prayers, musical honours, the Commodore Male Voice Choir, and the Cove Confraternity Band turn out every year. And it's a very dignified and a very fitting ceremony, remembering all those who died when the Titanic sank. Yeah, it's important. Uh, it really is. John in Cove says, could you ask Kendrick, where did the Titanic tie up in Cove so people could board? Where do they board? Where do they wait to board? They, yeah. It was a tender, didn't it? They went out in a tender. They couldn't, the ship didn't yeah. come in. There was two tenders, was, yeah. um, fittingly, fittingly called Ireland and America. Is that what um, they were called? Yes. <laughs> and they would have come alongside the White Star Line Pier, which is it's still there. The, the remnants of it are still there at the back of what is now the Titanic experience. Um, so the passengers boarded there. Then it went upriver, believe it or not, to the railway station where they put on the mail. Um, and then it went out to the mouth of Cork Harbour. Um, where, you know, significant, significantly seven people had off the, um, a family who were going touring Ireland by motor car and Father Frank Brown, who's famous photograph. Yeah, oh, th- well, yeah. you know, in, in many ways it was, it was, we're very thankful that he got off because we have those amazing photographs to this day. We wouldn't have we had do, the photographs those, otherwise. Yeah, we have those amazing photographs of Titanic and we have all the subsequent photographs, the amazing photographs that Father Brown took in the years afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Um, and know, he wanted he wanted to stay on. It was his bishop, wasn't it, that got off that ship? It was his uncle, um, Bishop Brown in Cove. Yeah. Um, I think there was a telegram sent from the Titanic to the bishop and I think the reply was, get off that ship. So. Yeah, because he thought, I, I don't think it was any premonition, he just thought that the young priest was off having a jolly, which he probably was. I think, yeah, I think somebody had offered um, to, pay his, board, yeah. to pay his passage. Some rich pay. Americans were going, to, yeah. were going to pay for the little Irish priest yeah. to stay so on. Some, you know, people say, oh, the Titanic was too big to come into Cork Harbour and, you know, they, they seem to feel that that's the reason why the Titanic didn't come in. But the whole thing, why these ships didn't come into Cork, right into the centre of Cove, and they could have come in where the deep water key is now, they could have come in, um, was that it was a lot, lot quicker to bring the passengers and mail huh. to the big ships than to bring the, the main. into the harbour. So it was all about speed. Oh, so it was nothing um, to do with size? No, no. And, like, what really made Cove, I suppose, was, was when the railway came in 1862. And, you know, it was about getting mail from New York to London as quickly as possible. And the quickest way to do that was for a liner to come in, anchor at Roach's Point, send out tenders, and collect the mail off off the ship, bring it ashore, and 
tow it onto a, a waiting train. Um, so we sorted on the way to Dublin on a special train. Uh, the train used board a ferry in, in Dublin or Dunleary, not quite sure which, across the Irish Sea to Hollyhead and down to London and it would actually the mail would arrive in London half a day quicker than it had stayed on the ship. Incredible. The ship and of course in, the, in those days it was all about speed, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and I believe the train from, from Cove to Dublin could the journey could be done in three hours and you can't even do that today. So. No, 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 always is it backwards? We're going instead of forwards, uh, particularly with with the trains having lost so many of our trains. You wonder at times uh, who, when that decision was made, particularly down in West Cork, to take all the trains, uh, take all the the railway lines out. You, you wonder was it a backward step rather than a forward step? Anyway, let's go back to to uh, Titanic. Um, so uh, events kick off at what time on Sunday? Um, have you know I think I have it, I have it in front of me somewhere I'm sure 3.15 yeah. in the afternoon for the colour well, party no, it's actually 2.30 2 2.30 sorry it starts at 2.30 3.15 is the colour party sorry yeah, yeah. it starts at, at, at half two and the events coincide with the Cove Readers and Writers Festival weekend there's a there's a, a good weekend of events uh, going is. on there as so well that, yeah that starts on Thursday and there's, there's obviously poetry readings and, and showing of films and musical events there's, there's a, a cruise ship in on Sunday as well um, so there's a, a market and, and musical entertainment in the promenade. So I suppose it's no better place, no better place to be in than, you know, on Cove, beautiful Cork Harbour. So with um, the first of the cruise ships in, I know there was some last week as well, the season well underway for Cove? Well, there's been two in so far. Two and one on Sunday is number three, and there's, there's over 100 ships. And some of the biggest in the world, the independence of the season is coming back um, on one occasion. The Crown Princess, which is one of the big ships, um, is in on 12 separate occasions this summer. Um, and there's lots of ships that we wouldn't have seen before. There's lots of the Holland America Line ships well, very welcome back. Another long history between the Holland America Line and Cove or Queenstown. Um, so, you know, it's a really busy, busy summer ahead for Cove and uh, no better place. Are you, are you worried Cove. about Dublin Port with their statement uh, the week before last reducing the number of cruise ships they're having the, the the numbers that will come into Dublin by 2021 do you yeah, worry, do you think that not, that's going to affect Cove? You could look at it two ways I suppose and one way that you look at it is that oh Dublin isn't available so we'll come to Cork instead yeah. if you look at the schedules that are there you know lots and lots of the ships will either visit Cork first and then go to Dublin or visit Dublin and then come to Cove the next day you know Um so if they're not going to Dublin, and Dublin has a particular attraction um, for cruise lines, and that is the capital city, and capital cities always carry more weight than, you know, the second city. Than the real capital, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so you'd worry that if, if they're not allowed to go to Dublin and they're not able to visit Dublin, that they might just cut the itinerary and, and stick to the British Isles. Or, you know, yeah, we heard of one ship last week who's decided that they're just going to Liverpool instead. Yeah, and that is the, that is the big worry, you know. Um, it's a it's a backward step for Ireland as as a tourism destination for for Dublin Port to make that decision. I'm sure they have they have the reasons, and I suppose the reason at the end of it is they probably make more money out of cargo than they do out of cruise. And they need more space for cargo, and nobody knows what breaks it. Yeah, but, yeah there's you know, so many unknowns. Decisions on the basis of what they don't know. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, good point. Be making decisions on what they do know, and that is that the cruise industry is burgeoning. There's more and more ships on order. They're bigger ships. You know, they they want, you know, sailing from Dublin to Cork is a beautiful little sailing for, for the cruise lines because they're, they're getting a brand new experience for their passengers the next day. But they actually have to spend very, very little on fuel to get from A to B. 
you know, if they're travelling, like the Magellan was in Cove yesterday, and that sailed from Belfast to Cove overnight. So that, you know, they, they got two ports, but they had a, a much longer journey between them. Um, whereas if that ship had gone from Belfast to Dublin and then to Cove, it had three separate experiences mm. for the passengers at much less, much less operating costs. So, you know, it, it's a pity and, you know, cruises is, is a big part of Irish tourism and at least I think people probably don't re- realise how much it is because people come on a cruise and then they want to come back. You know, they, they've seen, they've got a little snippet or a little snapshot of what Ireland has to offer and then they want to come back on a, on a land-based holiday or another cruise, and we've seen people in Cove, you know, four and five times, <laughs> um, just sailing and sailing and sailing, you know, it, it, it seems to be a very favoured uh, type Holiday, so. Yeah, and actually, I was I was doing some research at the weekend in, in trying to sort out a holiday destination for ourselves, and I was on TripAdvisor, and I couldn't get over the number of people who said that they went to a destination because five or six years previously they had been on a cruise and they'd done a day trip there, and they decided to come back and do a longer just you know stay for a week, stay for two weeks. Yeah, and uh, you know the research has shown that research by Fault Ireland has shown that you know people come. And it's like a little window on, on yeah. the town or the, or the country or whatever. They've seen a bit and they want to see more. Or they, you know, they're blown away by the welcome. And, and that's what the research has shown as well. You know, the cruise lines favour Dublin and the passenger expectation of Dublin as a port is, is pretty high because it's the capital city. But then when the research is done afterwards and they've been to Dublin, they've been to Cove, Cove comes out way ahead. Brilliant. So the expectations are less. Because it's not a capital city. Yeah, because they don't know um, much about it before they land. Yeah. yeah. So once they've yeah. been and they've, they've seen the welcome and they've seen what is to see and do in the area, well, then the expectation, you know, the, the actual satisfaction ratings are way, way up there. Okay. Well, um, long may that continue and long may we continue to get cruise ships into Cove. Hendrik will speak again. In the meantime, have a lovely weekend and uh, thank, you. thank you for joining us on the programme today. Good morning to you. That is uh, Hendrik Verwey who joins us from Cove Tourism in advance of remembering Titanic on uh, Sunday on the anniversary, actually the actual anniversary of the sinking, it being the 14th of uh, April. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. We were talking about CCTV earlier on and the fact that the When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Council still trying to work out who's going to take over the running of CCTVs and the monitoring, and it's all to do with data protection. And I know data protection has been put in place to protect us all, but at times... It has just created such nightmare issues and people are trying to work out, no, that's not, that's not my responsibility. I don't want anything to do with that. And it in itself is causing problems. And I don't think that was ever what it was designed to do at the start. It was designed to protect uh, people. But the fact that it's affecting community CCTVs that how you, you, would, you couldn't help but ask, how is that protecting uh, people? Anne says... What is the CCTV being, CCTV being used for if it can't be uh, accessed, especially, especially when there's antisocial behaviour? It doesn't make any sense at all to Anne in a Ballon Temple. And a lot of people uh, saying, well done to Ian Doyle for raising this issue and it needs to get sorted sooner rather than later. And of course, we, they're, all of the councillors are out canvassing at the moment with local elections just around the corner. So it's not going to get sorted during the lifetime of this council. It'll be the next council. Uh, will take it over. We know uh, all of the councillors won't get back in. Will people's priorities be different? So it was good to hear Ian said that he got administered to make sure that whatever happens with the new council, that you know that it gets picked up on and that people work on it and make sure that it is pushed and that we do have good uh, CCTV cameras because there's some really good. You know the technology in CCTVs have have improved. I mean, if you watch any of the crime call programs, I mean the quality of the CCTV now compared to what they used to be so you can clearly identify you know registration number of a car or a van and as Ian even said with some of the cameras that they're hoping to install in Charleville you could clearly make out who was actually driving a vehicle they would be able to home in and get that kind of uh, detail and we need it we need it to act we need criminals to know that these cameras are there and that if they're going to come and target an area that they're going to be caught. So anything that we can do to encourage better running of CCTVs, we are 100% uh, behind them on on that one. But Aaron were on to us, by the way, to say that due to heavy traffic congestion in the Ballinlock area, all Cork Route 215 services to and from Jacobs Island have been temporarily diverted via the Boreen Manor Road and that's going to be for about an hour as the buses are currently unable to pass through Bannon Lock. Now I don't know what the reason for the heavy traffic congestion in Bannon Lock on a Wednesday morning between 11 and 12. I don't know what's causing that uh, particular congestion but I, I would take, I would give that out as well. Besides it's going to inconvenience people on the buses but I'll give it out to people who are planning on travelling to that area. I would avoid Ballin Lock, give it an hour or two for the traffic to actually clear. I can see questions coming in for Peter. Keep those coming please and we will put them to Peter later on in this hour after half past uh, 12. I can see a comment coming in on motorcyclists. We're actually going to speak with a motorcyclist about this filtering through traffic. Filtering is the right word. 
I use the word weave. Weave is the wrong word to use. It's filtering. We will speak to, uh, to somebody just to find out what are the legalities around that because some people are of the belief that it's illegal to do that. It's seemingly it's not and we'll find out uh, more. There is a message in saying could I mention that McCroom Flower and Garden Club Easter floral demonstration with Anne Slattery from EFAS on tomorrow night, Thursday, the 11th of April, Cool Car House in McCroom at eight and there will be a sales table and raffle and all are very welcome to come along. Mary's commenting on the listener who uh, Pat in Fomoy wasn't it, who's wondering what happens to the bins that are collected on the street. These are the rubbish bins that are there for everybody to use and Pat says he regularly watches the council come along and there's black bags in them to you know, keep all the rubbish together and then the council truck or van comes along and they empty the bins and they throw it into the back of the van and off they go on their merry way. And Pat got to thinking how much of the items contained in those rubbish bins are for recycling and do the council go through the bins in order to recycle them? And he said he can't get a definitive answer from the council. I was, I would be of the belief that all of those, that rubbish goes straight for landfill or straight to incinerate, to be incinerated because they would be contaminated and it would be very hard for anyone to go through the bins to work out what you could recycle and what you can't recycle. The only way around it is to have separate bins, one for recycling and then one for your general waste. And Mary makes another interesting point, saying there is no way you could have expect people to go through those bins. You don't know what is in the bins. There could be, for example, drug needles and drug paraphernalia that people would dispose of in those street bins. How dangerous would that be? You could not expect council members of the council staff to go through those bins. So she, like me, is of the belief that they literally go straight for landfill and that's it. We were discussing water and we're still waiting on a reply from Irish Water about the taste of water in Bandon. We started the show with this. We and we actually finished the show yesterday with some calls in and we, we carried it over today. Calls in from people who are complaining about what the water quality in Bandon town. Now we don't think there's anything wrong with the water because if there was anything wrong with the water because it has to be regularly tested you know there'd be you know boiled water notices or do not drink the water notices and there's nothing like that but people are just saying that there is a noticeable smell from the water chlorine people are talking about others are saying there is a difference in the taste and people are telling us that it only started after the work went on on the river Bandon and people are tying it in that could be just a coincidence but people are saying that the change in their, what they feel is their water quality happened after the works were completed. Others are talking about silt. Uh, You can see it in the kettles and you can see it in the saucepans. And again, people are saying that only happened after the the works went on on the river so we're getting on to Irish Water just to see have they had any complaints and are they looking into the water quality in Bandon and you know and have they noticed have they put extra chlorine in and if they have why are they putting extra chlorine in and have they noticed anything with the smell or the uh, taste and Patricia says well I uh, hi Patricia says uh, text her I live in St Anthony's Park in Mallow and our water situation is absolutely ridiculous St Waters Park in Mallow is one of the areas that is very high lime content you would actually need a sieve just to make a cup of tea and can I say I have nothing but sympathy for people who live in areas where there is a lot of lime in the water because it is shocking 
what they have to go through in this day and age. And the cost to that household, the amount of kettles people go through, the amount of electric showers, dishwashers, washing machines. Now, I know you can get all those washing machines live longer with Calgon and all those. And I'm assuming they work. But there's an additional cost in having to use those items every single time you want to use your washing machine or your dishwasher. The electric showers, I mean, I don't know how long an electric shower lasts in a house that has a lot of line, but the line builds up on it. Certainly kettles, you can see. People will talk about changing kettles probably once a year if they're in an, an area with a lot of, of line. That's but that that is that's a different issue to what we're talking about. But I have I really do have the utmost sympathies for you. I had a friend of mine who lived in an area with a lot of lime, and he got he got a filter put in in the kitchen. It was quite costly; it was a couple of thousand euros. And this was a good few years ago, and it did solve the problem. But again, there was a cost attached to it. But he reckoned the long term he would be saving because he wouldn't be, be all of the water coming to the house went through this filter and was taking the lime out, out of it so he reckoned it would it would uh, in the long term it would definitely save him money because it, he wouldn't have to be uh, getting all of his electrical appliances replaced now I want to give a mention to something that we came across I think this we first heard about this at the weekend um, and it's to do with First Holy Communion we're into First Holy Communion season and what well, we're getting closer confirmations around at the moment of the first Holy Communion seasons just around the corner it's usually May isn't it but we're kind of at the time where if you have a son or a daughter in particular for first Holy Communion the final trimmings are being put to the day itself and the dressing of the child the children the, the child the Holy Communion the girl in particular whole family the rig out and then there's the planning what are you going to do for the day you're going to go to a hotel for a meal you're going to host maybe all the family to your house and Will you be getting the bouncy castle? And it can be very, very expensive. But at the end of the day, confirmation as well as First Holy Communion, it is a religious ceremony. And every single year it'll come up and and inevitably it'll come up again this year. People will talk about the amount of money that's spent on Holy Communions and confirmations. When when you look at the family, they... have not been in the church since the last religious event that they were forced to go to. Forced in a christening, a funeral, a wedding, First Holy Communion or a confirmation and people are saying it's nuts. Why are people doing this? Why are parents doing it? And some parents will say, well, if you've decided to opt to send your child to a Catholic, Catholic school, we didn't have any choice. The only school in our area was a Catholic school. I'm not going to let my daughter be the only one in the class, maybe a class of 30 30 little girls and boys I'm not going to be the only one to say she's not going to make her first Holy Communion so people go along with the crowd almost and that that type of answer comes up every single year so I was very interested to hear about a group of parents who are hosting non-religious ceremonies and it is with mixed race and non-religious families and they uh, these are families that don't want their children to miss out on a big day out. So they accept that for a lot of families, the Holy Communion and the Confirmation is a big day out. So it was a group of parents last year came up with this plan. Now it was kicked off by a guy called Tony O'Donoghue, who is an IT specialist based in Dublin. He was he admits he was raised as a Catholic, but he became disillusioned with the church 
particularly after the oh, Tomb Babies one two years ago was the one that really sort of was kind of the nail in the coffin for him when it came to the Catholic uh, Church. And he's a father of two. So along with his wife, they were left with no choice but to withdraw their children from the sacraments because they felt, you know, the courage of their convictions. They weren't Catholics. They didn't want their children raised as Catholics. They were obviously in a Catholic school. There wasn't any other schools. I think they were in Kildare that they could send their children to. So they withdrew them from the sa- sacraments, which included the First Holy Communion. But it did mean that their children were missing out on what they've used the term missing out on a big day out. So they set up a group last year called My Little Big Day. And they set up a a kind of a project. He said it was a non-profit initiative and it was designed to ensure that their son Brandon and the children of other like-mind parents got the chance to enjoy a humanist alternative to the traditional Catholic uh, ceremony. So they started it last year. They uh, went to a hotel in Lucan in County Dublin. 140 people participated in what they said was a secular ceremony. They had singing and poetry reading. They had colourful rituals. They included a wish tree and pouring of sand activities. I'm not quite sure what that was. Then it was followed by a meal. There was a DJ. There was uh, children's uh, entertainment. And then the families involved, um, you know, had a nice day out without having all the usual exorbitant First Holy Communion Day costs because then the bill was divided between all of the families who attended. Now this Tony O'Donoghue is a secular humanist himself and he admitted some of his more traditional family members were not initially impressed at the idea of an alternative First Holy Communion event but he has stressed the occasion was a huge success and he has now vowed to make it become an annual fixture so he has set up this uh, group uh, called um uh, what did he call the group again? My big day out. My little big day. And he's set it up on Facebook and he's organising a similar event for this year. And I'm wondering, will it catch on? Will others around the country decide that's the way to go? I want my child to have the day out. And actually, I looked at, there was a photograph taken from the event last year of the children, all the children who were of communion age. One, I could see quite clearly had a little communion dress on, but the others just had very nice dresses. Kind of, they looked like they were going to a wedding or a very, you know, nice posh day out. So they had nice dresses and all the rest of the family uh, dressed up. So everybody got the day out without having to go through the Holy Communion service because he felt they had fallen away from uh, the church and I still and I quote this I think I quote it every year and we quote it every year since it happened a number of years ago I was at a First Holy Communion Mass for a goddaughter and the priest at the end it wasn't here in Cork no, it was up the country the priest at the end was on the altar was thanking everybody for attending thanking all the parents for the effort they went to with the children and the teachers and for the boys and girls who took part in the First Holy Communion ceremony and he ended it by saying goodbye and for most of you sure I'll see you again in your confirmation and there was a little kind of a uh, a kind of a nervous giggle went around the church but you could see the priest meant it he literally knew that when he was looking down at these children he wouldn't see them again they were the little eight year olds in second class and he knew he wouldn't see um, most of them or indeed most of their parents he wouldn't see them again until they were in sixth class for their confirmation and there's something wrong in that Now we had a call earlier in from one of our listeners in Mallow who was complaining about Kay in Malloch sorry Kay couldn't remember your name uh, Kay was travelling in the city yesterday she was at Blackpool at the traffic lights and a motorbike came up in between her and the car and he had skipped through all of the other cars to get to the top of the lights and she was wondering is that illegal and she feels it's very dangerous because he was parked very close to her car uh, to the point of she waited for him to move off when the lights went 
green because she was afraid that she might hit him. Sean in from Moy is a motorcyclist and has been uh, for many years and he joins me. Good afternoon to you, Sean. How are you doing? Now, I called the manoeuvre as weaving, but the manoeuvre is actually called filtering through traffic. Is That's the correct term, I believe. Yeah, that's what it's known as filtering. Okay. Is it legal? Basically, from the RSA, what they're saying is motorcycle lane filtering should only be carried out by a trained and experienced motorcyclist and should never be attempted by novices or newcomers. It requires intense consideration and awareness, high levels of observation, machine handling and anticipatory skills and should be done in a considerate manner. While there is no legal definition of filtering in the Road Traffic Act, motorcycle riders may be prosecuted under the Road Traffic Act for riding a motorcycle in a dangerous manner, riding without due care and attention to other road users or breaking the speed limit while filtering. It would be at the discretion of the Gardaí yeah. at the time. And it would depend on, as you say, the competence of the person on the motorbike, the, certainly the experience, because yeah. filtering in, and, and I'll use the word weaving, because you are weaving in and out, you would need to have really good control of your bike. Yeah, and that's where a lot of knowledge comes. Like, weaving would be a no-no. Okay. You you would definitely be prosecuted for that. But if there's a strain, if, if there's a line of traffic with 20 cars and a bike or a scooter filters up through them yeah. at the top of the line, that's filtering. Yeah. That's quite safe. And the rider, like, that, that woman spoke, he, him, I don't know was it a he or a him. She, like, yeah, well, no, she said yeah, it was a male. Yeah. She, 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 yeah, she said it was a young male. Um, but she, Kay was making the point, and again, she's obviously wrong. She thought by the rules of the road that if, that if you're on a motorbike and you come to a line of traffic like that, it was heading into Blackpool, so it's two, it's two lanes of traffic coming up to the lights. She thought that the motorbike, say there's 10 cars in each lane, should stay at the back of all the cars. But you're saying the RSA say no, you can filter in between or on the outside lane and get up to yeah. the top of the traffic lights. Yeah, what what I thought what what I've said there is from the RSA. Say, yeah. As to it's the what official thing is. Yeah. And the, the awareness and the concentration. I'm sure that that motorcyclist where he was next to her, he knew exactly his road position, what was on his left, what was on his right. It just takes a little bit of patience. Just, even if it's just a couple of seconds, the biker, he'd be gone. He'd be away, you won't see him no more. Just a small little bit of patience. Like, no, no one should be intimidated by bikers. They, they'll make their way along and they'll get on with things. Like, if filtering is going to be hampered on by people, how would they like a blood bikes get around the place? Organ donor bikes, bikers who are carrying organs, paramedics, Army dispatch riders, military police and convoy control, guardy outriders. If you ever see the Garda traffic corps escorting an ambulance through the city, it's fantastic to watch them. And the efficiency and the safety that yeah. they can move traffic and get them through, it's absolutely brilliant. But these guys are highly skilled in... in highly trained. That type of stuff, you know. But filtering... Slow filtering through traffic, no bother. And no car driver or anybody should be intimidated by a biker. He'll just 
or she, someone's son, someone's daughter, a father, a mother, going to work or coming from work. Just give them a couple of seconds, they'll be away, gone, and there'll be no more about it. I'm wondering, is it a patience um, issue, Sean? Are, I mean, are people just, everybody seems to be so rushed with life. Everybody needs to get wherever they're going. And for some, are they just seeing, almost seeing the biker as, oh, he's getting to the top of the queue ahead of me? Is is, there, is it just a bit of impatience that's it is, creeping that's in? It, it annoys them. That's what, that's what happens. They get annoyed. The biker gets up before them and they just get annoyed. It's crazy. Annoyed. It's crazy. I, I, I've seen cars closing the gaps even and tightening the lane even to stop a biker filtering up there. It, it's crazy. And that's it's stupid. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's just stupid. It's, All right. it's not safe. Like. All right. And, and do you, are you on your bike on a daily basis or is it a weekly thing for you? Well, or? Yeah, it would be. I used to be regularly in now to walk there on the bike, but just one thing, Patricia. Yeah. Motorcyclists in this country are invaluable to an awful lot of um, charities. It's fantastic there when, when the sick child or suicide awareness or cancer will put out a thing for bikers to do runs and they'll sign up and they'll pay their money. It's absolutely fantastic. And people know that. And people will, will wave when those groups go out there for theatre house or um, the, the one in Cockter it, it's absolutely fantastic you know they it, are it, probably some of the most generous bunch of people bikers yeah, no, and, and it's and it's really really shown with all of those bike runs that are on I don't think there is a weekend goes by in this country that there isn't bike runs on somewhere around the country and more than one bike run um, and they're always there's never a bother when bikers are asked to turn up to any of these events or any oh, kind of a charity yeah. event their first one's in yeah what can we do how many do you need they're brilliant Fantastic. they're brilliant yeah know. yeah. and long, long may that continue alright yeah. we leave it there Sean thank you for that Thanks and stay stay Thank safe you. on your bike. Yeah. God bless. Uh, thanks a million. 1850-333-103. We're going to turn our attention to gardening, please. If you haven't got your gardening question in yet, there's still time. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Peter Dowd of theirishgardener.com joining us. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon and happy birthday. Patricia. Thank you very much. You're very kind. You're very kind. OK, and lots and lots and lots of questions in. Obviously, the weather again, we went to that cold spell and now we're back again and there's lovely mild uh, temperatures. I mean, we're looking at 15 degrees today, which is terrific. We are. It's mild, but it's kind of that grey mild, isn't it? But yeah. As you say, we've had, we're like, last week it was, it was cold and icy. The week before it was blue skies and warm so we are we're definitely in the changing of the season so that means we're heading towards the summer at least. which is great okay some people with problems um, to do firstly with uh, fruit Phil in Clonakilty has gooseberry and black currant bushes she said for the last three years they have what she's described as been stripped of everything she took a little piece of it into the garden centre and someone in the garden centre said that's caterpillars and they gave her a spray which she put on but she said the same thing happened again last year. She's wondering what she can do and why is it happening. It's what's called uh, the gooseberry softfly. It comes in and as she says, it literally strips. It's not, it's not just gooseberries. It's not just, it, it, it's a wide range of current bushes that it affects. Um, it, but as she says, it, it, it strips them literally overnight. So, <clears throat> excuse me, unfortunately, the, the control is too late, if you like, because by the time you see the damage, it's too late, you know what I mean? It's not like it does it over a few weeks and you can see it starting. It, it literally does it over 24, 48 hours. Um, 
so your your best bet is prevention, and the best organic prevention I could suggest is the um, the garlic wash, which we've spoken of many times before, Trish. Where you 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 make a wash of garlic, you pulp, let's say four or five cloves of garlic you know, with a liter or so of boiling water. Do all this outside. Throw in maybe a teaspoonful of chili seeds as well. Um, do it outside. Let it sit for about forty eight hours, and then you could dilute it up to about ten to one. So ten ten parts water to one part of your your garlic wash. Uh, and, and spray it on the bushes in advance of an attack or an expected attack. So if if the, the, they've been attacked in previous years, I suspect they will be attacked again this year and get, get the garlic wash on it sooner rather than later. And the theory is that they don't like the garlic. The, Isn't sorry, it the yes, smell? Exactly. The, 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 there's a pheromone uh, released by the garlic, which is the, the aphids and, and caterpillars don't like and they, yeah. they, they can't tolerate, so they, they, they don't go near it. And, it, and it's, I've used it in my garden. It does work, and it doesn't. Oh, it, does. it doesn't smell that bad. I mean, obviously, when you're making it, if if you don't like the smell of garlic, there's a strong smell of garlic. But it it doesn't stink out the garden or anything. No, as you say, when you're making it, it's smelly, and when you're applying it, there is a smell from it, but it's gone. But it's gone, yeah, it's gone. It's gone after that. And uh, Teddy in Ballinacarriga has a cherry tree. It bore fruit last year. The leaves went off colour on the top, and then the fruit fell off. Now it is in blossom again, but he doesn't want a repetition of what happened last year. That sounds like a fungal infection. The way he's describing the leaves going discoloured and possibly curling, that does sound like a fungal infection, which would lead to leaf drop. He doesn't say in the in the message how old the cherry tree is. No, he? he doesn't. Okay, because if it was if it was a relatively young cherry tree, uh, it, particularly last year, it could just have been drought damage. It could, like the leaves curling early, would have been drought. Early fruit drop would certainly have been drought, uh, and that could well be the same this year if it's only a year older. So pay attention to a few things. Number one, make sure it's well watered because the weather may not be fantastic at the moment. We haven't had that amount of rain either, that huge amount of rain. So make sure now at time of blossom that it's getting enough water if it's a new tree. And and by new, I mean three or four or five years old. Uh, But mulch around the base of it as well. So mulch it with a bark mulch or even your own homemade compost or wood chippings. Anything anything as a mulch, you see, will just slow water loss from the soil through evaporation. So that will keep it more Mary by WhatsApp says it's a lovely day in Bantry. Is it too late to cut back Red Robin? It's gone very high and Mary said it's actually blocking her view. Tell Mary it's always a lovely day in Bantry. (laughs) It's a lovely look at the woods. It is gorgeous. So no, it's not really too late to to cut back Red Robin. I hope it's not because I was looking at mine yesterday saying I must cut it back. So uh, Because they do get a bit lanky and a bit woody if they're not pruned properly and they're they're not I think a well-maintained Red Robin looks stunning but equally one that isn't well-maintained, like mine at the moment, doesn't look stunning. So I would cut it back now to encourage it to push out down lower again. OK, also coming in. Hi, uh, Peter. A Japanese knotwood, can it be sprayed now? There's a tiny piece of it sprouting near the boundary fence in my garden, says Anne, and she wants to get on top of it straight away. I would say, I'm going to hesitate by answering the question, but I would say, yes, you can. Spray it now. Uh, 
wait it's about six inches above ground so you get the best coverage of it. Uh, spray it with, with something containing glyphosate, which is round up or 90-odd percent of the weed killers in the market, but glyphosate is still the one that's recommended for control of, of Japanese knotweed. But on saying all that, just a couple of things to bear in mind. I'm very slow to give advice on, on Japanese knotweed over the radio because it's such a, pardon the pun, but such a thorny issue. Um, if it's on your property, you, you, particularly if you're thinking of ever selling the property or anything, uh, it, by the way, it's something you have to declare if it's on your property. If your property is for sale, you have to declare that there's Japanese knotweed on it. Now, um, now in Anne's defence, it's near the boundary fence, so we're assuming okay. it's outside, okay? It may, I, it may be. Oh, yeah. yes, true. So, yeah. outside so she's okay. It's not technically on her land? Well, yes. then she'd be fine, but just whoever the neighbour is would need to be careful that he's liable for any damage that it might cause to Anne's property. So I, I won't go too far into it today because we, we could spend hours on it, but if you spot Japanese knotweed on, on your property, be very careful. Be, particularly if you're selling it or if there's anything like that, uh, you will need to, to get a, a, a management, oh, a management, uh, what am I trying to say, a management system implemented. Yeah, but I mean, she's right, Anne is right to try and get on top of it rather than yeah. just igno- ignoring it and thinking it'll go away. It won't. It won't. She's right, yeah. absolutely right in that situation, yeah. Okay, Mary says, I could ask Peter, is it too late to cut back roses now? Uh, we are a bit too late. A lot of roses will be in, in certainly full of bud. I saw my first rose yesterday Did in you? flower. That in is flower? Is, is in flowering from last year, if you like. It's this year's flower. Already. Wow. Yeah. So you are too late from that point of view, but I would say to you it's better late to do it late than not at all. So you are going to sacrifice some of this year's growth. You'll probably sacrifice some buds, but um, I imagine they'll come back again. Do feed it with a good quality rose feed now to, to try and promote more flower buds, like the Goulding Dickwood one. Um, but do it if if you haven't done it by now. I would do it now, but wrap in the knuckles for 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 <laughs> late and do, do it in time next year before the end of February, ideally. Okay, hi uh, Peter. Could you tell me what what is the best way to revive an old white thorn roadside hedge? It was only cut last year for the first time in many many years. It has quite a few gaps in it, but it's still quite healthy. It, it, I'm always slow to intervene too much in, in native wild hedges because it, it, provided you're showing it any bit of TLC, like cutting it back now and removing, again, any any undesirable plants, even brambles and things in there, just to let it, to allow it to breathe again, if you know what I mean. If you just give it this bit of TLC, nature is amazing. It'll regenerate all on its own. Just remove any bindweed or any nettles or anything that might be encroaching upon it and cutting light out from it. And as soon as, as, soon as it start to see sunlight again and it, as I say it, it's got space to breathe it will start to fill in all on its own they're tough tough plants if the gaps are very strong you can you can get white thorn quicks um, it'll be the autumn time before you'll get them and before you can plant them but you can plant them to, to intersperse with the, the established plants to fill in the gaps and they'll, they'll come on quite quickly but really what you're doing by cutting it back last year uh, I wouldn't go in with feed and anything like that if they should be mature enough the most important thing is as I say, to, to, to give it space to breathe and to give it to allow it to see sunlight and then it'll come on, it should come on all in its own. Okay, good luck with it. Hi, uh, Peter. I am growing nasturtiums and sweet pea from seed. When should I plant them out? I'm hardening them off at present. Thank you, uh, Elizabeth, who obviously is doing this for the first time. Good on you, Elizabeth. So, doing it properly, Elizabeth. Well done. Yeah, well done. Hardening them off at the, at the moment is the right thing to do. Um, now, the, the more difficult part of the question is when to plant them out because it's kind of a movable feast. You 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 move them out when all risk of frost is gone. So if you can.
tell me when that is. I can answer the question. Yeah. Um, you're doing the right thing, hardening them off. Um, we're, we're in the middle of April now. You know, I would say certainly over the next two or three weeks, you should be safe enough because hopefully at that stage, we've had a few frosts in the last week, but they've been light enough. But um, they, they would have, I'm saying that, they would have been enough to put pay to sweet pea seeding. Uh, so I would say the start of May, if you if you harden them off for the next two weeks, you should be fine. Could you please ask, Peter, is it too early to feed fruit bushes and what's the best feed? We had a very bad crop last year, thanking you, Bridget, hoping for a better one this year. Feeding them at this time of the year, because they're just coming into bloom now, so feeding them with a good organic um, uh, sulphate of potash, or sorry, sulphate of potash, or a good organic general purpose, general fruit and veg fertiliser will, will be the right thing to use. Uh, there's a range called Nature Safe, which is comes in a granular liquid uh, form. It's got no animal byproducts in it, which I find interesting to see that they're going that way. Because number one, the composted plant waste is the best thing to put on plants. But number two, if and of course it's a growing, uh, growing what's the word movement for want of a better term. But if there's any vegans in the family or any vegans that might be eating the the produce, it's good to use a plant food that has no animal byproducts in it. Yeah. So that's nature safe, and that's a very very good one for fruiting. But now is the time to put it on. Other reasons that you may not have had a good harvest last year. Uh, would be maybe they need a bit of pruning during the winter. Maybe they're, they're they're a bit congested. And the other thing is, of course, and we've spoken about this at length many times in the program as well, is is the the lack of pollinators, the the, the bee population, and the other pollinators are unfortunately reducing in number, and that that's beginning to to be visible in the in, 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 in the effects are beginning to be visible in the. Unfortunately. Yeah. Unfortunately. Hi, uh, Peter. I have bluebells growing in a tub in the farmyard. When and can I transplant these into my front garden? The bluebells are looking lovely at the moment. Thanking you. That's uh, from Lily in Bantry. Well, yes, Lily. Everyone's in Bantry today. Yeah. Weather, yeah. Lily, can, you can move them from the container into the garden. Um, when something is going from a container into the garden, it really can be done any time of the year. Now, if they're in flower at the moment, I would probably wait till that's finished. But really, when you're moving something from a container, there's no root disturbance or minimal root disturbance, uh, and so that there's no real risk. That's why things are most things are grown in pots in the garden centres nowadays, um, so that they can be planted 12 months of the year. The, the, the problem is when you're taking them out of the soil and you're damaging the roots. So I would leave them in the containers for now while they're flowering, and then after that, plant away. And what you can also do is they're, they're bulbs, same as daffodils or any of them. So you could every clump could be 10 or 20 bulbs. So you could break them up into smaller clumps or even individual bulbs if you wanted. Okay, you've answered the question this is on a spray for for berries, for currants. We've answered that. But the yeah. second ha- half of the question is, uh, could, uh, could Peter recommend a name for a tar oil spray on apple trees? There is a, uh, not a tar oil, but there is a winter wash. Na- Growing Success is the brand name and, and Growing Success do an organic range of products and they do a winter wash, which does the same thing but it doesn't have the chemicals that you have in the tar oil. So growing success, winter tree wash is what I would use. And Mary in McCroom had very bad daffodils this year. Loads of foliage, but no flowers. They are just describing with the bluebells. Exactly, yeah. They've gone blind, which means they've got congested under the ground. When the foliage dies back this year, lift them out of the ground where you did have one bulb, just prize it apart. There could be five or six bulbs all coming off the one root system. So divide them into individual bulbs, plant them again in the autumn and you should be fine next year. Mary in Charleville has climbing roses around an arch. There are bulbs blooming on it. Uh, it, When is the right time to cut it? Obviously, you can't cut it now because you're going to cut off all the bulbs. Yes, 
trim it after flowering, all right, but you wouldn't give it its, its main haircut until the winter of the year again, same as when we were talking about roses earlier. It'll be sometime between November and the end of February, early March is the time to give it its really annual pruning. But during the summer, as the flowers go over, you could certainly be trimming it to keep it somewhat in check, but it'll be November to, to February would be the main pruning period for it. Okay, what are you up to this week? This uh, Saturday, I've mentioned it before, I know on your programme, Trish, uh, uh, but I hope it's well supported, I'm sure it will be, is the Cope Foundation, in fact, Speaking of nasturtiums earlier, they've been giving out nasturtium seeds all around Cork. It's the Flowers of Hope campaign. Um, so I'll be speaking in Beach Hill Garden Centre to help that that fundraising campaign for the Cope Foundation on Saturday from 11 to 1. I'll be talking about embracing diversity in the garden, but what I'll be doing is giving tips on, on how to get colour in the season ahead and on lawn care and on edible gardening, but all the time if from a point of view of, of helping the biodiversity and, and not damaging the, the beneficial wildlife. So that's in Cope Foundation's Beach Hill Garden Centre this Saturday from 11 o'clock. OK, good luck with that. We'll talk to you next uh, week. Thanks for that, Peter. Um, have a lovely um, Have a lovely week. That's uh, Peter Dowdle of the theirishgardener.com. Uh, before I go, I've just been told Little Ireland to become the first Irish retailer to provide recycling stations to reduce waste bought in store. Supermarket is introducing segregated recycling Cycling stations at the end of checkouts in all 160 little stores across Ireland. Customers, you can remove any unwanted packaging and recycle it in store once you've finished your shopping and it'll be rolled out from the start of May. Well done to little and mark my words, other supermarkets will follow suit on this. This will become the norm uh, before long because how many of us complain of the amount of packaging that we take home with us from the supermarket? Now it's going to be, it might be a bit of a pain in the butt for some having done all your shopping to cut through it all and take off the packaging but a great great initiative on behalf of uh, Little Ireland can I say thank you to the huge number of people who have been texting and whatsapping and calling to, to wish me a happy birthday I really do uh, appreciate it I can't get around to thanking everybody and even with the whatsapps I was trying my best during the show to answer as many of the whatsapps because that's the one I do have a facility to be able to answer directly here by a text message so I've done my best to answer as many of them as possible as I say I didn't get to all of them but thank you I, I really do appreciate it people have been very very kind indeed some final text messages in a Douglas listener says this is with regard to the ATM machines around the north of Ireland at the moment that are being stolen of uh, late somebody says why don't they put a tracking device into all of those ATM uh, machines yeah I actually was thinking the same thing somebody else was going on about the die the only way they can put a die into it so if you tap with any of those machines that all of the money gets uh, died. Now, the banks won't come out and say if that is the case or not. But you assume the fact that so many of them have been stolen, these criminals must be making some kind of money out of them. But certainly a tracking device uh, wouldn't be a bad idea uh, at all. OK, that's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we will be back with you tomorrow morning at 10 on to the Lampertish Messenger. Good afternoon. C103 presents Thunderland. Greenfields Tremor Road this April. New thrilling rides. The Hangover. The Giant Wheel. And the Magic Mouse Roller Coaster. Thunderland. Greenfields Tremor Road. From April 10th until 28th. Adventure for all the family. Book your tickets now at Thunderland.com. With C103. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. 
And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 